His life was like a cruise ship that caught the coronavirus. I mean, that cruise ship, you imagine it's going along nicely as it's uh, going through the Eastern Caribbean. There's the best affair, great wine and food and entertainment. And sometimes you can be casual and enjoy that. And then when you want to, you can get all dolled up for the night. And this is what the cruise looks like. And then all of a sudden, a couple years ago, that COVID virus hit. And all of a sudden, your floating vessel of delight became a dungeon. As you're confined to your room, some for days, some for weeks, some for almost a month. As ports wouldn't let you in, and all of a sudden, that dream vacation turned into a living nightmare. Yeah, that's what this guy's life was like in his mid-twenties. Living the high life. Been able to be raised and born in the United States of America. Had a good college education. Had gotten his first job and was making his millions. He was famous. People watched him on TV. Little kids begged him for his autograph. He showed up at the football game, made a tackle, fell on the ground, bounced right up, down for the count. Then what happened? Did you see the love? I mean, you saw it everywhere. You saw some of his teammates watching him. You saw others turned around and in despair, just putting their hands over their eyes, not knowing what to do. You saw coaches on the phone making calls. You saw the, the paramedics on the field. You saw all these people losing their different gifts and their talents to do what? Rescue this man who had it all going in the wrong direction who was helpless. He was so helpless that he couldn't even yell, help. That's a picture of what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. A bunch of helpless people, some able to call help, some who will not call help, some who cannot call help. But they are surrounded by a network of different looking people with different looking gifts ready to rush to the aid because they just cannot turn their back and play football anymore that, light, that night as if something else had happened. That's what this church needs to be, and that's where we're going in this sermon. We're talking about the tie that binds. That's an old hymn, I know, but there was a reason that people sang that hymn. If you look over here in this corner, some of you, this is new to you, but this is our vision. We didn't write this. We came up with the three E's, but it comes from God's Word. You want to know what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like? He's someone who gets excited about the power of the cross. Someone who continually grows, wanting to know, how can I enjoy God more? He is someone who ultimately ends up saying, I want to be salt and light in my world. How can I tell more people about this God? I want to boast of Him. But in the middle is that E which we're focusing on here. He recognizes that God who has loved him, who has left him on this earth, has placed him on a team much better than the Buffalo Bills. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And it's a worldwide team that has local fraternities. And you're in one. 
It's called Horizon Church. And so seriously are we about this team that we make vows, which you just heard. Vows that we will be fathers and mothers to you. Vows that you will be brothers and sisters to one another. Vows that we will look after our little children and we can't wait for the day when Katie declares her faith in Jesus Christ in front of you and makes her joining of the church a public matter. That's who we are. But just because we are in the church doesn't mean we act like the church. That's why in almost all of Paul's letters, after he tells them how much they need to enjoy God and what he's done for them, he reminds them to outdo themselves in love for one another or to care not only for their own interests, but also for the interests of others or to reach out for the helpless with help. And so I just have two verses that I want to read to you. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. They're not odd verses. You've heard them before. You will hear them again. But I had an odd week. We're not starting our new series. As I went to the Lord and said, what would you have me preach? The text seemed to change, but the emphasis didn't. And so here we go. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the house today, there are only two kinds of people. The needy and the dead. So all of you who are living and are here, you're the needy. You're suffering. You're trapped as it were. What are you trapped by? You're an addict as it were because you had parents. You know, there are some children who are born who are actually addicted to drugs because their parents used while they were in the womb. Well, that's our condition. Our parents were sinful addicts who procreated, produced us, and we got some of their physical genetics, but we also got their spiritual DNA, which means we were born depraved. Infected by our parents, assaulted by the devil. The devil is a roaring lion. He hates us. And if you remember the story of Job, as he just was like, you could almost see him salivating, wanting to take down Job. That's Satan. Around us in this world are a bunch of people who either wishes to do us harm or will do us harm, even if they didn't wish to necessarily. Our peers... Man, in high school and in middle school, they were so prominent in my life. And they're preaching a different gospel. They're telling you kids to stay away from the scriptures. You can't believe that old religion that has been part of our Christian heritage for a couple hundred years and part of our world for several thousand. They would tell you it's so old, it's so dated. To their noise would come that of teachers, many of them. I'm thankful for the good teachers we have here today. But that's not all that exists in our educational system, both Christian or private or public. There are teachers who would walk you away from the Word of God and the way that He thinks. Some are harmed by their fathers. It looks like I'll be going to a court perhaps tomorrow as a family will be sitting there in court, not in this church, 
that there was no one who has harmed them like the father in the household. And after many years of abuse, it's finally coming out to court. Some are harmed by their mothers. Some are harmed by their brothers and sisters. Laura and I had dinner the other night with a family on Friday night who told us how this man built his business and then the three executives whom he hired stole it from him. Kind of called a meeting, invited him to the meeting, offered him a minimal sum of money for him just to walk away. The government wants to harm us. And then we've got the globe that harms us, natural disasters that are out there. Our bodies harm us. Lots of sufferers. I mean, consider what's going on even in this fellowship. We have friends sitting here who have lost children in the last quarter. We have other families that are here who have just found out that their child has a disease and they're scared to death over what that might mean. Families who have just lost a job or cannot find that next right job as quickly as they had hoped. Widows who are grieving over the fact that their companion is no longer with them. How long has it been since the Heisers were able to come and worship with us as they are homebound in their home? Many of you families have prodigal children, and it just breaks your heart as you would fix them if you could, but you just don't have that ability to do so. Then there's those anonymous issues, some that I know about that I'm not going to speak because that's just not what we do, and that's not right. And then there's some that I don't even know about because you just don't share. In this city, there are many people like us that really, really hurt, that are really suffering. Messed up by the flesh as disease is hitting us and dementia is troubling us and our family. And then there's the flesh. What do we do with this? We're all suffering. At some point, the COVID's going to hit the ship. At some point, you're going to be playing your ball game and you're going to fall down. And what are we tempted to do at that point? We're tempted to numb ourselves with technology and just kind of ignore the pain or maybe entertainment. The flesh tempts us to fear. Then we get angry. We've heard about this sovereign God, especially in reformed circles, and frankly, we don't like what this God's doing to us. We try to numb it, sometimes with entertainment, as I said, sometimes with technology. Then we go to hedonism. I mean, for men, this is why men a lot of times run into porn is because they just got to have something that gives them the high, that gets them away from the pain in life that they don't want to face. Maybe it's why women a lot of times, and I know I'm stereotyping, but let's do it anyways, when women go shopping. A lot of times because buying that next thing will give them the high and the satisfaction they need just to keep going another day. We respond with abuse. Well, then, if we're going to hurt, we're going to make sure to get ours now. And if that means we have to run over someone else to make our life a little better, so be it. We respond with pragmatic disobedience, just doing whatever seems to get us out of the hole now, regardless of what God has to say. Maybe we'll try medication, but ultimately, because we disbelieve God and His goodness and His ways in the midst of our suffering, we find ourselves despairing, and that can even lead to our taking of our own life. 
because we're suffering and we're trapped. That is the case of some here right now. It will be the case of all of us. This is Paul writing to a church. Why would we think the church of Galatia is any different than the church of Greenville? There are people here who are trapped, people here who will be trapped because they suffer greatly because of the providential curse of God on the earth and the assault of the world, the devil, and their own flesh. Next we go to the needed saint. What do they need? What did the text say they needed? Well, there are people in the church who have been loved by God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're spiritual people, the text said. They're brothers, the text said. Brothers, you who are spiritual, restore such. So in this church are needy people, and in this church are the needed people. That's you who find yourself at this point, even though you might be needy yourself, having some capacity to be able to care. Life might not be everything you hoped it would be, but right now there's a fallen brother on the football field and you have some capacity to pray, to help, to comfort the family who's coming down from the stands onto the field, to be a broadcaster and use your voice and at least give, give glory to God and say, we trust you and we can't do anything, would you help us? What we need in the church are spirited people, spirit-fruited people. This does come after the the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We need brothers who are law-keeping people. That's what it said. Keep the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? This is the new commandment that I give you, the new law that I give you, that you love one another. We need bearing people, people who will come under and help lift up the load. Restorative people. That's that Greek word that is used for what you might do to uh, furniture as you're refurbishing it or as you're mending a net or setting a bone or finishing a car. We need bearing, law-keeping, reparative people who are gentle. Man, when we're suffering either because of someone else's sin or we're suffering because of our sin, the last thing we need is a lecture. The last thing we need sometimes is for someone to say, that was stupid. Don't you know that's wrong? What would God have to say to you about that? Now you're going to get there because we're people of the word. But we didn't need at this point while the brother is laying on the ground for someone to be asking him how much fried chicken he has eaten or whether he has exercised or drank enough water. That's just not the time for that. Right now, we just need a gracious, gentle people who would come alongside in love. And when you find that sin-sick people in the church, this is when you're going to come and you're going to gently just offer forth the free grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to us while we're in sin, and then he offers us new life. He offers us undeserved grace and then he sets us on the path of walking anew, but we don't have to walk anew and get things right before he makes things right. 
And so we want to be law-keeping, bearing, restorative, gentle brothers who are humble. F.B. Meyer said, when you see a brother or sister in sin, there are three things you do not know. You do not know how hard he or she tried to sin. You do not know the force that assailed him or her. And you do not know what you would have done in the same condition. There's that phrase we use, that phrase we use, but for the grace of God, there go I. Do you really believe that? Or do you think you're of some superior matter that you would never have fallen in such conditions? Paul writes, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. There is no one in this church who is not able to fall in the worst ways imaginable. Your whole Bible shows you Abraham who lost his faith by sending Sarah into a foreign land, then into a harem, and then jumped in Hagar's arms. Lot, who seemed to be materialistically consumed, so he moved his family into the cesspool of Sodom. Aaron, Aaron who gave into peer pressure and worked wrongly, worshipped wrongly while Moses was on the mountain. Moses, who struggled with anger, ten spies who doubted God's word and voted not to obey his command to take the land. Samson, who served God and then his loins. Eli, who taught others how to raise children and then lost his own. David, who stumbled with lust and pride. Solomon, who was so wise that he became foolish. John the Baptist, who lost his faith in jail and wondered if Jesus really was the Messiah. Simon Peter and the disciples, whose faith were, was very weak, were very weak. Paul, who considered himself a wretched man, not doing what he ought. And every one of his churches that he wrote to, Corinth, Galatia, and the seven churches of Asia Minor, many of which were founded by him, they all had their issues. Humble people. People who understand when they're getting ready to rescue that person, that they don't have the power to really help. But they know the God who does. People who understand they don't have the wisdom to help, but they have the word of God. People who understand that prayer is what is needed, so they come alongside and hold up their brothers and sisters in prayer and just do whatever they can to help. But the text said, if you notice, if you can go back to that slide for a second that showed the scripture, brothers, if anyone is caught, this is exclusive care for the whole community. No one is left out. We're pursuing everyone, anyone, leaving no one behind. And what are we doing? We're not waiting for them to come back with open arms. Yes, that's, I know that's what you see from the father, the prodigal son, but that's just one picture of God's love. How about the picture of the good shepherd who goes and finds the sheep? And so now we are probing. We are trying to get into people's hearts. We're not waiting for them just to ask for help. We're trying to get them to ask for help, get them to want help. We're trying to give them help even when they don't want it, which is what you do when you exhort someone or when you admonish someone as you're trying to get in there and help. But we're humble and gentle in the process. So what this church needs are needy people with needed saints all around them, which leads to our conclusion. What we have is the needful shift. And so as we embark upon the year 2013, 
I've expressed nothing to you, I don't think, 2023. I've expressed nothing to you. That would make me 43, as I'm 43 in the year 2013. I've expressed nothing to you that you have not heard before. But how does it apply to us in this church? The first thing I think you got to do is be humble. And the second thing I think you got to do is be humble. The first thing I think you got to do is be humble and let people into your world. You have to be transparent. Less hiding, more transparency. We really do care. No, we don't care as much as Jesus Christ does. And we will let you down. And we will sin against you in acts of omission and commission. But we're not gleeful hypocrites. We're not putting on a show and we're not interested in just building a big institution. As elders and friends, we really have made vows that we would like to keep more and more, but you gotta let us in. We can't read your minds. We can't chase you down. And so you're going to have to be here. You're going to have to be around. You're going to have to not hide. And when you're here, you're going to have to engage in some sort of a smaller network. Because I recognize that Sunday morning is not the time for you to open up and say, hey, would you pray for me? I just overdosed on narcotics this weekend and uh, I need help. That's not going to normally happen at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. So when is that going to happen? It's going to happen as you find some relationship, either in men's women's ministry, women's ministry, or in you make a phone call and meet with a counselor or meet with a pastor, or you get involved in a small group. Somewhere, you're going to have to be in a group where you really do take off the mask, where you quit walking around like the emperor who has his new clothes on and and, and you just show, look, I know I'm, I'm naked and I need help. You're going to have to do that. And I know that requires humility because we're proud people. We like for people to think we got it together. But none of us have it together. We all have little pieces together. But if you go in deep, you're going to find men that struggle with purity, women that struggle with relationships. You're going to find parents who have struggling teenagers who aren't always following in the ways of the Lord. You're going to find people who have real questions about the existence of God and the goodness of God. You're going to find this if you go in deep. You get in my life, you're not going to want me to be your pastor. Because you're going to say at age 53, after 20 of years, you should be much further down the road than you are. You get in our marriage, you come to our marriage class that we're going to start in February, you're going to say, wow, their marriage looks a lot like our marriage. There's some really, really good days. There are some days when Laura's really got to pick it up a bit because she's sinful. <laughs> we're going to have to get over our gender, men. Now, what do I mean by that? Hold, hold on. Let me. Women will more naturally open up 
and share. Men, we don't go there. Men, we've got to get in each other's chest. When we have our small groups together, it's good that we talk philosophically about this or politically about that. But how are we doing? How are we wrestling? Where is our sin? Are we opening up and sharing there? We're going to have to get over our culture. Our culture doesn't want us in these relationships. It just wants us to be so busy and so hectic that you have no real time. Maybe you can get on Zoom and have some quick uh, uh, meeting from the chest up. But no, we're we're talking about face-to-face stuff, heart-to-heart stuff. We're going to have to get over our Reformed tradition. What do I mean by that? We are in a tradition that makes much of preaching. What is good about preaching? A man has worked to give you a 30-minute lecture, and you can sit there, and you can take it or not take it, but in 30 minutes, it's over, and it's done, and that has been the epicenter of the Reformed tradition. Well, where then do we get in each other's chests? Where do we massage it in? It's got to be more than you just sitting there, engulfing information, hearing a lecture, nodding to the, to the doctrine, saying that's orthodox, and not applying it or having anyone hold you accountable in that. But really, we have to get over pride. Have you ever seen someone who just cannot grow old graciously? It just looks like they're trying to hide who they are more and more. And the more they do that, the more pathetic it looks. Well, that's what we look like in the Christian life. As we we try to keep up the really good show and don't let people in our life. The Bible says that we are to confess our sins to one another and be healed. People don't heal each other. But the confessing our sins to one another is part of the way in which the Lord heals us. So this year in 2023, just like in 2013, less hiding and more transparency, and then secondly, less hiding and more love. Remember I said the second thing we need is more humility? When you focus on yourself and your preferences and your time, You don't have time to give to other people. You don't have interest to give to other people. It takes too much of you to to reach out and talk to those uncomfortable people. You got your own burdens. How can you carry anybody else's? But someone asked me this week what I was preaching. I said, what would you like me to preach on? And this person said, maybe purpose or significance. Why do I exist? What does God want from me? I would tell you this goes a long way towards answering that question. I don't know what your purpose is in the business community or in the arts community, but I do know this. The God who saves you has placed you in a church to love your brothers and sisters, and he's given you gifts and talents and experiences, and this is what you're to do. So you're not to consider your own interests, but also the interests of others. You're to consider others better than yourselves. And this is supposed to be a church where we greet one another with holy kisses, We shake one another's hands. We get to know one another's names and we slow down and maybe instead of saying hi to 50 people on Sunday, we say, hey brother or hey sister to about three or four on Sunday and really get in their chests. We listen to one another. We encourage one another. 
We show hospitality to one another and let people in our world. We use our funds and we take each other out for meals or for drinks at night. We instruct one another. We pray for one another. We admonish one another. This is what we do, you spiritual people, you law-keeping people, you brothers. You look around yourself and you look around you and you say, huh, I'm not only concerned with me, but I am now ready to see who is trapped, who is in need. And then humbly, I'm going to go get them. So humility seems to go through the whole thing. Humble people saying, help. Humble people saying, I'm here to help. And them all doing it how? Humbly. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I beg you, I urge you. What's he getting ready to say? I'm writing from prison. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You have a calling. Walk worthy of it. What does that look like? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Solomon wrote, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. In this church, I pray that you will have eight or more elders, depending on whom you nominate, that are ready to be your helpers. And in this church, I hope you're going to have in the year 2023 seven or more deacons that are there to meet your physical and temporal needs and to show love. If you're a woman, you have a whole woman's ministry with two teams dedicated to serve your spiritual and your physical temporal needs. May this be a year that they really prosper. In our 15 or so small groups, you have places for you to get plugged in. And we are not that good at them yet, but we're going to keep making process and learn how to get past the, the onion shells, the outer layers, and work deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart. You have one seasoned counselor here. And then you have two of us, Joe and Mia, who are saying we might like to help, but we want to be even sharper than we are in our ability to sit one-on-one -on -one with you and to walk through God's Word with you. We're available to do anything we can, and it may only be to pray. But you, you got our ear, and we'll go after your heart. And what would it look like to have 350 ministers? That's you. Where do I get that number? About 250 members and about 100 more regular attenders and people that are around. If we had 350 people stumbling over themselves trying to help people that are falling, what an incredible church this would be. God came to Adam and Eve in the garden when they weren't looking. They were hiding. Aaron and her were those who held up Moses' arms. Jesus is the good shepherd. Nathan is the one who went after David. Hosea loved his bride and would let her be. We have Christ telling us to be the good Samaritan, and then we have Jesus Christ showing 
what it looks like when he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. Oh man, could we be a church that washes each other's feet? Could we be a church that refuses to leave anyone behind? Could we just be brothers, spiritual people, law-keeping people, bearing one another's burdens, helping one another? Many of you need it. Be humble. Be around. Be connected. Let us know. Many of you are needed. Be humble. Be available. Quit worshiping yourself. And in all of it, let's be humble.